You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Okay, welcome into a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA. I'm Wes Goldberg, and I'm here with Ben Golliver from the Washington Post. We are recapping two games today, two games in which uh, two teams had a chance to sweep their first-round series, move on, put us every, put everybody out of their misery of a couple of really boring series, and only one of those teams got the job done. And that was the Milwaukee Bucks, our first game of the night. The Bucks beat the Pistons 127-104. to Ben Houston didn't do so well. They lost to the Jazz 91 to 107. We'll save we'll save Houston's game uh, for later. Let's talk about the Bucks and the Pistons because the Bucks. Now I know you're a Bucks guy. I know you're a big fan of that team. Are you even more impressed with them now? Look, Milwaukee heard all the talk about this being anticlimactic. You know, I mean, Detroit they're running on fumes. Blake Griffin's injured. Uh, they're getting blown off the court game after game after game. And I think Giannis, uh, you know, had enough of that because he scores a playoff career high for himself, 41 points. He has the first 40-point game in this year's playoffs. And, uh, you know, he, he throws together a spectacular move, you know, double-clutch layup that reminds everybody of the, the Michael Jordan one against the Lakers years ago uh, and really put his stamp on that game. I thought the Pistons came out very feisty. I mean, it was a, a very classic last-gasp-type effort where, uh, they want to go down with a fight, and, and Blake Griffin was a, a huge part of that. But Milwaukee outlasted them. Giannis just kept punishing them. Mm-hmm. He gets to the free throw line time and time again and kind of left their, uh, I think, egos uh, bruised a little bit and their and their bodies physically bruised as well after this one. So now that they can look ahead uh, you know, to a very intriguing and layered uh, second-round matchup with the Boston Celtics. I want to talk a little bit about Blake Griffin there. He got hurt uh, on a dunk midway through that first quarter, and Detroit had that lead for a lot of the first half. Um, and it didn't seem like right away that his injury affected them too much. He he, he went off the court, put like a uh, like a really ginormous uh, brace around his knee, and got back into the game and started playing. But I, you kind of got the Milwaukee just sort of wore on them, specifically Giannis just wore on them throughout the game, and that's kind of what they've done. Um, this season anyway, but Blake Griffin, 22 points, six assists, five rebounds. Um, and, and that's the last game of a season. He's probably going to make an all NBA team. It's kind of this bounce back year for Blake Griffin. I, I mean, it's, if you're the Pistons, you're, you're feeling pretty good about that trade right now. Yeah, you're feeling okay about it. I mean, you would have liked to see a little bit more progress in the postseason. You know, they actually set an NBA record for the most consecutive losses in the playoffs. They've now lost 14 games in a row, and and part of that's from three straight sweeps in in various years. So I think that it's a little bit demoralizing on that front, but no question about it. Blake Griffin comes out of this looking like hero. I don't think he should have even been on the court. And clearly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he was pushing and fighting his way to get on the court in game three and four of that series, but he never looked right. Like you mentioned, I mean, his leg was wrapped up like a mummy after the series. You know, Dwayne Casey came out with a very nice long statement about Blake saying, hey, man, like we wouldn't have been there without him. He was playing on one leg the whole way and, and really had a lot of nice things to say about Blake. So, uh, you know, I think that's some small consolation, but when it was Blake Griffin's turn to summarize things, he didn't want to spin it positively in any way. He looked very dejected and down. Uh, the, the one good news from him was that it doesn't sound like he's going to be missing time this summer, whether it's rehabilitation or, or whatever else. It, it sounds like he's going to have a full summer to recuperate. Uh, so that's great. But 
uh, it was kind of a dismal end for a franchise that could really use, uh, you know, a step up in the right direction. And I think the fundamental question for the Pistons going forward from this is that Andre Drummond finished the playoffs with the single worst plus minus of any player in the entire league. And Brooke Lopez actually had the best plus minus uh, of any player in the league. And so that tells you what's going to happen to Drummond, you know, going forward in the playoffs when he plays against teams that can really stretch him out, right? It's it's not like uh, he even had to play the death lineup, you know, the Golden State Warriors famed group from uh, years past or some of these other teams that can really get crazy with the interchangeable lineups. I mean, Brooke Lopez is, uh, you know, still a pretty big bodied center and yet Drummond just had nowhere to guard. Uh, they tried to switch him onto Giannis at times because Giannis is a non-shooter and that didn't really help things. He just couldn't cover the ground and you know, midway through the series, he's getting booed off his home court and you hate to see that, of course, but it's a real fundamental kind of philosophical question for the Detroit Pistons is do they stick with Drummond? Is he still going to be their guy? Uh, or are they going to re- try to retool this roster around Blake Griffin and, and maybe give him a better chance to make uh, progress in the playoffs down the road? Yeah, this first round kind of reminded me of that uh, when the the Hawks played Roy Hibbert off the floor a few years ago, and that was sort of just the end of, you know, at, at some point Hibbert in the postseason just didn't work anymore. Um with Drummond, yeah, maybe they decide that they want to move on from him, but that's easier said than done. He makes like what twenty seven million next year or something like that. Like, who's gonna take that? And then you've got Reggie Jackson; he's making a ton of money. Everybody, oh well, he stepped up in Game Four; he had twenty six points. Yeah, well, it was on twenty shots. So I didn't love that Reggie Jackson game. He had he had some spurts there, but he was also kind of a danger to himself and everybody around him in other moments, like he tends to be. So um, yeah, if those are your if that's I guess your big three is Griffin, Drummond, and 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 Reggie Jackson. I don't know how far that's going to get you, and yeah, no question. obviously I mean, it gets you about as far as they got. Right, you're four years removed from trading for Reggie Jackson, and clearly when he got traded by Oklahoma City, he was wanting to have his own team, his own show to prove that he could do it as the lead guy. Four plus years later, he still hasn't won a single playoff game, right? Not a playoff series. He hasn't even won a single playoff game. So I think you know exactly how far a guy like Reggie Jackson's going to take you. Giannis had 41 points on 23 shots. He went to the line 20 times, made 15 of those free throws, also had nine rebounds, had three assists, had four blocks. And each one of those blocks, Ben, were just like out of nowhere blocks. It wasn't like he was just standing there. He he worked for each one of those. Um, just a really well, dominant he, game by him to wrap up the series. It absolutely was. I mean, he's never advanced in the playoffs before, of course. He's got this baggage hanging over the franchise where they've never won a playoff series since 2001. Uh, clearly, they have bigger goals this year. I mean, they want to be in the finals. I mean, I think they view themselves as a legit title team, and this is only one small step. So it wasn't like they were throwing this huge parade after they won this series. But I love the response from Giannis. It was an MVP-type response from him. You know, they're they're getting into this ugly game, you know, through the first half where, uh, you know, Detroit looked like they wanted to do exactly what Utah did later in the night, which is extend the series, protect home court, kind of leave with your pride intact. And instead, Giannis said, no way. Uh, he took over. He was just too much for them. Uh, the free throws that you mentioned, I mean, he took almost twice as many free throws as the entire Pistons team did by himself. And it wasn't like he was getting these favorable calls. I mean, I, I saw some people complaining about the free throw disparity. Yeah, there's going to be a free throw disparity when Giannis is putting his head down and going hard, you know, play after play after play. But one other thing to note from this game, 
he still only played 32 minutes. They were so dominant in that third quarter and early in the fourth quarter, they were able to shut down basically all of their starters for garbage time. So once again, it winds up being this huge Milwaukee blowout where coach Mike Budenholzer doesn't have to tax his starters. So now they're going into a, you know, a nice extended stretch of, you know, time off before their series against the Celtics and they haven't run their guys minutes up yet at all. I think that's going to be very key for Milwaukee as they try to do what they couldn't do last year. And that's beat Boston. Well, Houston tried to sweep the the Utah jazz after this Milwaukee game and they couldn't do it. uh, Losing, in Utah, 107 to 91, and look, this is a series that we all thought was going right towards a sweep. Utah changed its defense; they tried to do that gimmick thing where they just hang on um, Harden's left shoulder, kind of play behind him, and and just sort of just force him into one side of the floor, and that didn't work for the first three games of the series, and then it just worked. Tonight, uh, James Harden did end up with 30 points on 19 shots, but he only had four assists. Chris Paul got 23 points, and he worked hard for each and every single one of those points. But other than that, nobody else scored above the 20s. Eric Gordon had a 16 points on 12 shots, but and nobody really contributed offensively, and I think a, a large part of that was because the Jazz took everybody else out. They said, Harden's going to go get his 30. Let's take everybody else out. And look, Harden made a season of routinely routinely scoring 40 or 50. So even holding Harden to 30 points is pretty is pretty darn good for them. So what did you see anything else from the Jazz? Did you see anything different from the Jazz specifically on defense tonight where they just after 3 games of practicing just better at it? Well, you, the the numbers that jump out are the four assists for Harden and the eight turnovers for Harden. And I think a big part of that was just that Clint Capella did not look right. He had a, his worst game of the uh, the playoffs and the worst game I've seen him play in a long time. There was reporting afterwards that he has uh, some sort of virus or maybe even yeah. multiple viruses and he's going to be sick here for the next couple of days. I think that certainly impacted his play. And he's a key uh, outlet guy, complimentary scorer for Harden because he opens up basically everything when Harden goes to the to the hoop. If you have to worry about Capella finishing those plays around the rim, it opens up shooters uh, and it also opens up Harder's, uh, Harden's floater game. Excuse me. So uh, for him to basically be a no show, that was a you know kind of a a big uh, you know setback well, they, they, for their offense. And then on top of that, the shooting on, too. Well, they, before we move on from Capella though, because he did look really. I was wondering if he was hurt. I get, I'm like, did I miss a Capella injury news thing? He didn't look right. He wasn't getting up high at all um, when they go for those lobs because when when Utah plays that left shoulder they kind of force Harden to the rim and then you've got Gobert or Derek Favors supposed to step up and block them. And that's why they started using those, those lobs to Capella. That was like just killing that jazz defense over and over and over for the first, through the first three games of the series. And then all of a sudden just like randomly Harden and, and Gobert couldn't connect on any of those lobs. So I was wondering what was up with them. And then, yeah, you're right. It turns out D'Antoni after the game had mentioned he had been dealing with a virus. So I guess that explains that. Yeah, that was one big issue. The other one, too, was their bench just no-showing. And it's not like they need a ton from their bench even to put up huge scoring totals, but I think they combined for something like five points. And yeah, most of the guys uh, Austin Rivers for, was all the five points. Right, and most <laughs> of the guys Rivers who were out there for say. big minutes were were all minuses during, the, during that stretch as well. So I think Utah, um, you know, was able to capitalize on that. But I think this game, you know, as much of as Capella was a factor, and he no doubt was, I think this game was really about the Utah Jazz's spirit. You know, I think that they yeah. promised after game three from Donovan Mitchell on down, they all promised they were going to come back and not roll over in game four and to show pride. And I think that's exactly what they did. I mean, from basically everyone, whether it's Favors, you know, Gobert, Mitchell, I mean, all of them, 
uh, came out and, you know, they did not want to go down easy. And so credit to them for doing that. Um, now they've got to go into a very difficult place, you know, for game five in Houston and try to extend the series again. Donovan Mitchell was unbelievable. And he's he's been having a really tough series for Utah. And he scores 31 points um, on 26 shots. But a majority of those points coming in the fourth quarter, was it 17 or 19 of his points in the fourth quarter, had a, had back-to-back threes with nine minutes left to give the Jazz a 91-80 to 80 lead. And that kind of gave them that, that lead that they ended up taking towards the uh, all the way to the end there um and that those are the kind of moments that you'd like that you'd like to see from donovan mitchell those are the moments we saw from donovan mitchell when he was a rookie in the playoffs and uh look i'm not i'm not about to say that the jazz are suddenly going to roll into to this into a seven game series but you're right it was good you winning one game is a really big deal it, it's it's a world of difference between getting swept and winning one game because it's just you, you're able to have a lot more confidence there and you're right they showed a lot of heart Jay Crowder came out and did his best Clay Thompson impression in the first quarter Ricky Rubio was unbelievable getting to the rim he only had 18 points in the game if you wouldn't have told me that I thought he would have had 30 points in the game you know he just seemed like he was such a presence but he was also he was getting to the rim uh, all the time and setting up teammates that way he also had 11 assists so he was huge for them yeah, I was actually surprised by how much they celebrated this win, but I guess it, it does make sense a little bit because of uh, how thoroughly outplayed they were by Houston in last year's playoffs, and then also just how demoralizing some of the losses were earlier in this series. Um, you know, usually, you know, it's kind of a face-saving thing to win that game for, right? It sets up what everybody calls mm-hmm. the gentleman sweep, where like uh, the, the only game the the favorite team drops is, is game four, and they go home and take care of business in game five. And I suspect that's what Houston's going to be able to do here. I, I think they're just a you know significantly better team than Utah, especially if uh, Compella can kind of get back closer to what his normal production is. But uh, for Utah, you could just see like the relief, you know, the idea that they were able to at least get one. And uh, you know, teams don't always re- react as excitedly as they did. And um, you know, I guess that, you know it's not something you can really hang your hat on going forward. You know, a month from now, it's not really going to matter. Uh, you know, if they do wind up going down in five games, but in the moment, it was nice to see because you could tell they were just so heartbroken after that game three loss, especially because, you know, Mitchell had a chance in game three to tie that game. And he had such a Mm -hmm. rough shooting night. Like you mentioned, Um, you know, Kyle Korver, you know, really came to his defense and had a nice long speech about, you know, what Mitchell has meant to their organization. I thought that was great leadership on Korver's behalf. And I'm sure that really helped Mitchell kind of, uh, you know, reset himself before game four. Uh, so, you know, to see all of that pay off in a big time way, you did feel a little bit, uh, you know, good for them. All right. Before we wrap up here, uh, news from Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, Igor Kokoskov is out of Phoenix as the head coach of the Suns. Reports are that they are targeting Monty Williams, who is the hottest commodity in head on the head coaching carousel right now. Um, Igor Kokoskov, one season, one and done in Phoenix. What do you think about that? I mean, I, he took such a big risk by taking that job. And as soon as his GM, you know, winds up getting fired before the season even starts, mm-hmm. I'm sure he started the, the entire season on feeling the hot seat pressure, right? Because it's like, wait a minute, like, what are we even trying to do here? We're changing directions. His hiring only made sense if they drafted Luca because he had that personal connection to Luca. So once they hired him and then they take uh, Aiton, it's like you could just tell that they were already off to the wrong start uh, with all of that. It didn't seem like he ever put his stamp on that organization. I thought, you know, 
personally, he embarrassed himself with how he handled the final couple weeks of that season where uh, he's putting, you know, Devin Booker back into games where they're already out of hand, you know, basically saying that he doesn't really care about, you know, typical sportsmanship guidelines in the NBA, and they're just going to go ahead and chase points. Uh, And ultimately, that wasn't enough to keep him safe. It didn't allow him to keep his job. And at the time, I suspected that might be why he was trying to do it. You know, you appease your best player. You hope that he goes to bat for you uh, with decisions kind of looming over that organization. But they kind of turned the keys over to James Jones a little bit. Now they're going to be out there, like you mentioned, executing yet another coaching search. Uh, but I think this is ultimately one of the worst jobs in the league. You know, it, when you have this level of turnover, when you keep changing directions, when you don't have a lot of talent on hand, and no matter how much people try to hype up their young players to me, I don't see a lot of talent on that roster whatsoever. Uh, to me, those are all three big strikes uh, against why any coach who's you know been a head coach previously or uh, you know has his pick of jobs is ever going to want to choose Phoenix. And I think a little bit of that... Uh, is at the feet of Kokoskov as well because none of those guys really took a noticeable step forward. Uh, the young guys, I mean. Like, I didn't see a whole lot of player development happening. Granted, Phoenix is kind of a toxic situation at this point, so I don't know how. But other than just Devin Booker doing Devin Booker things, I, I mean, he didn't really get better this year. He just, just kept doing what he does. And so, you know, you can't blame all of that on Kokoskov, obviously, but he definitely he's the head coach. He gets some of the blame. There was no real personnel development happening there. No, there, there was no argument to keep him. Like, I don't know if, if he went into his exit interview at the end of the season, like, I don't know what his case that he could really stake it on. Um, and so I think, you know, once you've got a, a new uh, front office, they're making the decisions, you know, there's yeah. the, the temptation to want to replace him uh, is pretty strong just because you're looking at him and saying like, well, like, what did we even get out of this year? And it was pretty much a lost season on all counts for the Phoenix Suns. If you're Monty Williams, if it's, if it's, what the Lakers or Phoenix that's like do you just like maybe sit this year out (laughs) I don't know what do you do (laughs) well is that why Luke Walton raced to be the Kings coach so quickly you know he got the deal done within like 24 hours I mean right uh, yeah these are not the uh, the most plum gigs right now if I was uh, Monty though I would be looking more at the Lakers than the Suns I mean simply just because of the ownership factor I think Robert Sarver's the worst owner in the NBA period uh, I'm mm-hmm. not even sure who's a close second at this point. And the Lakers have had all sorts of dysfunction. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but I do think the Lakers' ownership is better than the Suns' ownership. And I do think that they've tried to stand by coaches uh, you know, in the past. They, I think their problem has more been about picking out the right coaches rather than showing loyalty to coaches, if that makes sense. And I know the timing on, on that argument's a little bit weird because they did just blow up Luke Walton um, you know, after just three seasons. But still... Uh, that's longer than what Igor got. And I think that, you know, Luke was able to show some real success in that L.A. job. And I think it's, you know, certainly when you have a talent like LeBron as well, uh, it's not a dead ender. I mean, it takes a lot of convincing and self-talk to get your to get uh, yourself motivated uh, to take on the challenge of coaching the Phoenix Suns. With, with the timing of this, you'd like you you'd probably you'd like to believe that the Suns have an idea that they could get Monty Williams but that's probably giving them too much credit at this point. Um, if Monty Williams ends up passing on the Phoenix job, one name that I, I kind of threw out there, James Jones is the GM of the Suns right now. He's He's got a good relationship with Jawan Howard from their heat days. Jawan Howard's been in some coaching circle uh, rumors and stuff like that, uh, including the Lakers gig. So uh, Jawan Howard, maybe that's a, their backup plan, maybe. Um, and I actually like him. He's a player development guy. 
unlike Kokoskov, I think he could actually work with a young Phoenix team. That actually makes more sense to me. No, he's got a great uh, perspective on the league because he's seen it all. I mean, he came in as a super hyped player, right? And then he stuck around for decades. I mean, he was a, he basically played every type of role that you can get. I mean, he was making like nine figure contracts. And then by the end of it, he was making minimum contracts. And I think that uh, I know you love Spolstra, but there's a lot of institutional knowledge down there in Miami that you can glean by being around those guys year after year after year. And I think Phoenix they do need a personality, a big personality in this role to kind of let everybody know that the past is the past. It's time to turn the page. There's going to be a new level of accountability. I never thought Igor was that guy. I mean, he struck me, frankly, as a little bit meek, uh, you know, or, or still trying to get his bearings as a head coach. Um, and, you know, I know that a lot of people speak uh, very ki- kindly of him or, or well of him, but he just didn't seem like he was that, you know, huge leadership personality type of guy. I do think you're right. I think Howard could be that guy. That link with James Jones is very interesting. If that's the direction that they go, um, you know, maybe there would be some sort of assurances between, you know, the old friends, right? It's like, okay, you, know, mm-hmm. you can come here, but we're going to give you like two or three years at least to figure this kind of thing out. If I'm Jawan Howard, I would need to have those kinds of, uh, you know, thoughts presented to me up front. Because otherwise, I think he should just hang on for a better job. I think he's a very uh, well-respected guy around the league. I think he'd have a lot of interest from other positions. And uh, as we've seen with some of these guys in the past, whether it's Earl Watson or Igor, you know, if you go there and it doesn't go well, you're going to be struggling to get another job. We've got the Orlando Magic and the Toronto Raptors tonight. Raptors lead that series 3-1. Philly leads Brooklyn 3-1 and Portland Leads OKC 3-1. Do any of them get it done? Do all of them get it done tonight? Um, I would tend to think that Philly is going to get it done for sure. I think Toronto is going to get it done. Uh, And then past that, you know, it gets a little bit more interesting. I think the Blazers are really riding high after that Game 4 win uh, you know, in Oklahoma City, I maybe worry just a little bit too high, and maybe that'll wind up being uh, proven, you know, inaccurate, and they'll take care of business in Game Five back at home. But uh, I thought they almost carried themselves like they had won the whole series when they got that third win, and that made me a little bit nervous on their behalf. Maybe a little bit of a letdown coming. I agree, and you never know what's going to happen with the Thunder. That's kind of their whole deal. Uh, I'm with you. I think Toronto and Philadelphia close it up tonight, and uh, I think we'll close it up here. Ben Golliver of the Washington Post, thanks for jumping on, and thank you for listening and subscribing. It's Locked On NBA. Make sure to catch it every day of the week, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining me, Ben. My pleasure. Thanks.